Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, it's Claire here. Some breaking news. Money Clinic has been nominated for Best Financial Podcast at the Investing Reviews Awards. If you'd like to vote for us, I'll be forever in your debt. Remember this free link, ft.com slash podcast award. That's ft.com slash podcast award. Now, on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, COP26 begins in Glasgow tomorrow. Quite literally, it is the last chance saloon. It's one minute to midnight on that doomsday clock, and we need to act now. Because when it comes to climate, time really is running out. The world has been watching the COP26 conference in Glasgow, which ended with dire warnings about climate change and the urgent need to transition away from fossil fuels. Banks have pledged to cut funding for polluters in future, but could where you put your money make a difference? And is it all a load of hot air? Or, as Greta puts it, Words that sound great, but so far has led to no action. Blah, 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 blah. Certainly, plenty of listeners want to take a greener approach to investing, or even just a more socially responsible one. Clearly, I think climate change is a major issue and one that needs to be tackled head on. But would I say that tackling social injustice or inequality would rank more highly for me? Yes, it would be. Keen listeners of Money Clinic might recognise that voice. It's Harry. He came on the show last year asking about aligning his investments with his values. Harry, a lawyer working to increase diversity in the profession, is someone with a strong sense of good governance. I am now a 30-year-old living in Bristol, and in my line of work where we're looking to tackle social challenges and to ensure some meritocracy, I've become more interested in ensuring that my money as well as my work serve people rather than just being an objective to create profits. So far this year, nearly $4 trillion globally has been invested into sustainable or ethical funds, what's known as ESG investing. Pretty much every asset manager and broker will have an ESG fund on offer. And, well, it can be confusing. Which is why, a year deep into his ESG journey, Harry was keen to come back on the show. The challenge I have, of course, is... When you read the key investor information regarding the fund that I'm currently invested in, there isn't actually any detail about the specifics of the ESG. It goes as far as to say it takes into account things like how companies are tackling climate change or treating their staff or their supply chains. But in terms of easily accessible information, it is lacking. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. 
Today, we'll be putting ethical investing under the spotlight. Is your ESG fund a truly ethical choice? Or are fund managers merely looking through green-tinted glasses? And what are the things investors should be looking out for? We'll come back to Harry and his questions in just a moment. But first, let's lay down the groundwork. What's ESG all about anyway? The E stands for environment, the S stands for social, and the G stands for governance. And it's a weird acronym. I'm actually amazed how it's taken off. I always thought it was going to die as an acronym because it's so strange. That's Catherine Howarth. She's chief executive of an organisation called Share Action. It's been championing responsible and sustainable investing in the UK for well over a decade. It does have a curious double life, ESG, because on the one hand, it's about whether companies are managing environmental issues insofar as they might affect the financial performance of that company. So, for example, oil and gas companies are very vulnerable, I would say, to the climate regulations that are coming in to the COP26 conference and so on. And and that may make their financial prospects weaker. But then there's also a kind of impact side to ESG. There's a desire by many people with investments to see companies doing the right thing. And it's very confusing for ordinary people with investments and pension savings and holdings in companies to figure out whether ESG is actually about protecting your financial returns or achieving a positive impact in the real world by influencing what companies do each day. So ESG investing is about protecting yourself from risks to future returns on your investments as much as it's about ensuring your money is doing good. An important distinction. But there's another lesson from Catherine too. There are many shades of green when it comes to ESG funds, and it turns out some aren't actually very green at all. Yeah, it's a huge, huge problem. The financial regulators are appropriately nervous that people are being missold products that say that they're green and they're not. And they do not want to have overseen a period of gross mis-selling in ESG products and funds. I think a huge number of big investment firms have taken what were just plain vanilla market cap weighted funds and stuck an ESG label on them without changing much in the fundamental design at all and then marketed them. So this is a widespread problem and I hope very much over the next year to 18 months we'll get much more rigour into this space. If you listened to the FT's excellent Behind the Money podcast, you might have heard this short but sweet description of what ESG is all about from a former fund manager. If I may, I think it's complete bullshit. Damning words there from Tarek Fancy, the former chief investment officer for sustainable investing at BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager who left his job in 2019. So if he thinks that, what hope is there for the rest of us when it comes to ESG investing? Here's my colleague, Manuela Saragosa, who hosted the Behind the Money ESG series. There are so many problems, so it's really difficult to know exactly where to start, but I'll do that with the help of some of the FT contributors and and guests and voices we had on the series. Firstly, there's the problem of metrics. How do you measure ESG? A carbon footprint are very obvious. You know how to measure it. But when it comes to social issues, it becomes very vague. You know, how inclusive a company is, how it treats its suppliers. There's no one standard, universally agreed metric. Here's how the FT's US business editor, Andrew Edgecliffe-Johnson, put it. Yes, we all know how to measure a profit. But when companies come to an investor with reports about broad terms like 
purpose or impact or sustainability, investors are not at all confident that they can measure what one company presents them against what the next company does. That essentially was also Tarek Fancy's complaint. To some extent, yeah. The lack of agreement on ESG metrics means that ESG labels are effectively being slapped on a lot of funds. And Tarek Fancy reckons that label is being used as a marketing ploy with no follow-up to see that the fund is actually having an impact and, say, lowering carbon emissions. And that's especially now that so much money is flowing into passively managed tracker funds. These have low fees and there are a lot of asset managers out there competing for a share of the business of passive investments. So putting an ESG label on a fund helps sell that fund. And in many cases, it means that the asset manager can charge a higher management fee. So it is a money spinner. And it's not just Tarek Fancy who's worried about this. The FT's US financial commentator, Robert Armstrong, is as well. So I think a lot of the support for ESG comes from the army of lawyers, consultants, insurance companies, fund managers who charge a percentage point more for the ESG fund or 15 basis points more for the ESG fund than for the the passive index fund. This thing is a huge moneymaker. And we should also be asking who benefits from all of that. Is it the investor? Is it the planet? Or is it the lawyers, consultants, and fund managers who we have allowed to make the fundamental choices about what counts as the social good or the environmental good? Man, I could listen to Rob all day. (laughs) He's just, he's got such a great voice. He has so much to say as well. And a really great point. But there are some asset managers out there who are doing their homework, checking that companies are doing what they say they're doing, not just being seen to be green. Yeah, and I suppose the question an ESG investor has to ask before they put their money anywhere is, do they want to invest passively in a tracker fund? And there are people within the investment industry who say passive investment isn't compatible with ESG because there's no follow-up. Or does an ESG investor want to engage with their investments? In other words, become an activist shareholder, someone who agitates for change. And that often means higher management fees for the fund that you invest in because of the extra work the fund manager has to put in to follow up on claims being made. And this is where it gets confusing for the retail investor because some of these actively managed ESG funds are actually invested in what some would call sin stocks, oil and gas companies, for instance. Take this small hedge fund called Engine Number 1 in the US. They bought shares in ExxonMobil last year, this massive oil giant, and then rallied other big institutional investors with shares in Exxon to push for change at the company's board, basically forcing Exxon to prepare for a decarbonized world, something Exxon had not even addressed previously. Now, that took a lot of work and effort on behalf of Engine Number 1, this small hedge fund. And that kind of work doesn't come cheap. Funds like Engine Number 1 are essentially financial activists in the same way that the climate protesters blocking London streets are environmental activists. Yeah, he's not going to superglue himself to a fund manager's desk anytime soon. But nevertheless, that is a similar distinction that Catherine made earlier, isn't it? I mean, there's impact investing and then there's a brand of ESG investing, which is all about managing risk. Right. And Things like Boohoo, the clothing retailer here in the UK, which had a scandal surrounding working conditions at its factories. That in turn affects its sales as consumers shun the brand. And 
that's the way the FT's Gillian Tett, uh, she's our US editor-at-large and co-founder of Moral Money, the newsletter about sustainable finance and business, she says we should approach ESG investing as risk management. ESG today is not necessarily about being an activist or trying to change society. It's about risk management. It's about companies recognising that they need to have lateral vision to protect themselves and their own shareholders and their stakeholders, but also, most crucially, to protect the future of capitalism from destroying itself with tunnel vision. You can get all of the episodes that we've played these clips from if you subscribe to the FT's Behind the Money podcast. It's a must-listen for anyone wanting to really understand this fast-growing area of the investment world. But what does it all mean from a personal finance perspective? Back to Harry. Since he came on the show a year ago, he's been riding the ESG wave and it's paid off. I was able to shift my tracker into a ESG-focused tracker called the MSCI or Mutual Fund, which focuses on ESG characteristics. And I'm pleased to say that in the time since I've been in that fund, that has performed very well. It itself is up around 30%. Wow. But because I retained some investment in the old as a comparison, overall I'm on 15% up. So actually I should have shifted all my money into that that ESG fund, but I'm pleased to say it's working well. Of course, past returns are no indication of future returns, as any financial advisor will tell you. And the jury is out on whether ESG funds can maintain this outperformance. As you enter the next phase of your ESG journey, what kind of thoughts are swirling around in your mind? I would love to know whether the performance of ESG funds, much celebrated in in the past two years, are just attributable to the fact that so much investment has been ploughed into those products and that that is actually the cause of why they're performing better compared to non-ESG. Great question. What else would you like to know? Pension provision is something that is growing in increasing importance for me. I wonder why is it the pension world is so behind when it comes to offering us greener choices? We've already heard how complicated the debate around ESG can get. Even within the FT, some of our best journalists have very different opinions on how it could benefit your portfolio and the planet. This is clearly a concern for Harry. So I asked Catherine Howarth of Share Action, who we heard from earlier, what's really driving the favourable returns on ESG funds that Harry and others are experiencing. There are two different drivers, I think, of why ESG is sort of going so bananas right now. One of them is financial and one of them is more impact driven. People who are focused on their financial returns are starting to think, wow, what is this ESG thing? Maybe I can make more money out of it. But at the same time, many people are becoming hugely aware of things like the climate crisis and really conscious of the impacts that companies make on many of the problems in the world. But is this rapid growth really sustainable? I do think there's potentially a bit of a bubble in ESG. But I hope beneath that, and I do believe beneath that, that some of that outperformance is definitely because there is a real benefit for companies in addressing ESG issues. And and there's a lot more regulation coming in of things like carbon emissions. And all of that is making it less profitable to operate in an environmentally damaging or socially damaging or health damaging way. And finally, something I talk about a lot on this podcast, pensions. 
For many of us, our workplace pension is our main investment vehicle. So, to paraphrase Harry, why is it that finding greener choices for our company pensions is so blooming hard? Well, I think the pensions industry has never been very consumer-facing. No. (laughs) Or consumer-focused, to say the least. The range of choices is, is very thin sometimes. It's improving, but the vast vast majority of people in workplace pension schemes are in the so-called default scheme. They're just in the fund that is created for people that don't want to make an active choice. And people do get anxious about making an active choice. Like Harry, Catherine's part of NEST, the huge workplace pension scheme set up by the UK government. They also have a green fund option, which is fully fossil-free, fully tobacco-free. And I have to say, pleasingly, because I'm in it, has outperformed. It is a good and well-designed option in my view. But interestingly, hardly anyone in NEST chooses it. And I don't think that's because NEST members don't care about ESG issues. In fact, when they've been surveyed by NEST, loads of them do. They just don't have the um, maybe the courage or the confidence to come out of the default into something more adventurous And after all, the ethical fund is a bit more risky. That's one of the reasons it's outperformed quite well, I think, because it's it's able to take a bit more risk. But while some people don't like making an active choice, others don't realise there's a choice at all. Well, I think in Harry's case, he looked a few years ago and this option didn't exist and he is unaware that it exists now. Well, yes, they've done a lot of work on this in the last few years, so Harry should have another look. Now, for people who are listening to the podcast and thinking well, I'm going to go into work tomorrow and I'm going to find out from HR who our pension trustees are and ask them why there isn't a green option. What would be your advice for doing that? If you think about how many companies have made an environmental commitment of one sort or another, but have neglected to pay attention to these issues in their pension fund, there's a big disconnect there. It's a reputational risk, if you like, for a company to be saying that they're they're taking environmental issues seriously and they have a plan. But then when it comes to the staff pension scheme, they're not bothering to manage the the risks that arise from not paying enough attention to these climate and environmental investment considerations. And the HR team in your organisation should be your friend on this. This is the kind of shareholder activism that Manuela mentioned earlier. Naturally, some people are sceptical that individual shareholders can make a difference, but not Catherine. I'm a big believer that ordinary people who care about these themes and have investments can really have a positive impact on what some of the biggest companies do. But how can ordinary people become financial activists? Some listeners might be glad to know that they don't have to glue themselves to a motorway in order to make a statement. Instead, you can ask a question at a company's annual general meeting. AGM for short. I I first went to my first AGM HSBC nearly 20 years ago. And the power of asking a question was just, I mean, I've never looked back. It's actually one of the reasons I'm still here, because my early experiences of asking questions at company AGMs was so empowering and exciting and and influential that I just thought, well, this is an amazing thing to do. And I still encourage people to do it. Now, it isn't totally easy, but I really encourage people to do it and to think of yourself as an owner, a real owner of those companies, which is what you are as a shareholder. You've got a stake. And as a shareholder in a company, 
my experience is that boards do listen when you make a good case and you've, you've really got something useful to contribute. So, what did Harry make of what Manuela and Catherine had to say? I thought that was absolutely brilliant to hear so many different perspectives on what is clearly still an emerging area. Although things aren't quite perfect at the moment, does listening to what the experts have to say make you feel more confident about how ESG might evolve in future? Absolutely, it does. It's great to hear about the various stakeholders that are seeking to make this development into an authentic one that is seeking impact, uh, as well as delivering good financial returns. Obviously, hearing things like ESG bubble does uh, give you a bit of a a nervous uh, sort of reflection on that. But I think from my perspective, if I want to be sure about making an impact, I have to be prepared to take on a little more risk. Because whilst I'm a passive investor at the moment, I'm going to have to diversify a little just to identify specific companies that I think actually that is in line with what my own standards of ESG are. Mm. And then Let's talk a little bit about your pension. So Catherine came forth with the revelation that Nest actually does have a green pension option and one of the only big providers that does. Did that surprise you? I've done my due diligence, clearly, uh, because I had missed that. So I think that was a brilliant revelation and I definitely will be having uh, another look at that. I know my employer is considering uh, a new scheme uh, for us next year. So I'll definitely take a look at the Nest situation in the meantime. Well, Catherine also said... Hardly anyone chooses this option, which immediately makes me think, well, maybe Nest need to do a better job of of publicising it to the companies that use them and their members. It's partially on the employer and partially on Nest, but for sure, I think Nest, by all means, make employers, make employees aware of this. And employers have that conversation because I think it helps have a more engaged workforce, better performers, those that are happier with where their pension contributions are being allocated. And again, is going to help people become more financially aware and help with long-term planning for the workforce in this country. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to more activist investing, is that something that you could see yourself doing, turning up at an AGM with a placard? (laughs) When I was a lawyer, a lot of my colleagues would have a laugh because I'd always be the person in the room at a conference or a talk that would put my hand up and ask a question while I was annoying people. But I I did love doing that. And, uh, and it's certainly something that is of interest and that I would love to spend a bit more of my time getting involved with because I think similar to what Catherine talked about, once you've had that experience, I think it, it sets you on a path to being much more involved in that in the future. And it sounds very appealing, to be honest. Good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. I do hope that that has inspired you to continue with your green investment journey. Always aspiring to be on the show, Claire. Thanks for having me on again. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Want to hear more? Subscribe to the FT's Behind the Money podcast to hear all five of their ESG special episodes that we featured in today's show. And as a listener to FT Podcasts, why not sign up for a free 30-day subscription to the FT's premium Moral Money newsletter? It includes complimentary access to FT.com for the same period. Head to FT.com slash Inside ESG to sign up. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love and Talia Augustidis. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa. 
Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.